Welcome into another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. It's Monday afternoon. It's football and random things. Of course, football and random things brought to you by our friends at Whipple's Hybrids. When it comes to selecting your seed corn partner, you've got a choice to make. At Whipple's Hybrids, we've made a choice too. A choice to remain independent. A choice to remain farm family owned. A choice to stay American. So when it's your time to make your choice, make a statement, plant your independence, plant Whipple's want to tell you quick, really quick about our friends at Cellular Advantage as well. They've got a new store grand opening uh, and ribbon cutting this weekend in Ames, Friday afternoon, September 23rd, 3.30 to 5.30. They'll have a food truck out there. Sounds like some Iowa State basketball players were there. I maybe heard a little birdie birdie that uh, fire up the grill, Caleb Grill, and uh, old Bob Jones, Robert Jones, going to be out there hanging out at the new Cellular Advantage location in Ames. Go out there, get some pictures, get some autographs uh, from 3.30 to 5.30 on September 23rd. Uh, I've got the address, 705 24th Street in Ames. Hello, Jeff Woody. How are you doing today? I'm doing just peachy. I I would say better than you, but that's – I'm, I mean, it's a little bit snobby, but I'm currently on sort of vacation. My anniversary is tomorrow. And so we got married in South Carolina. And so we've taken just like an anniversary trip to be able to like come back here. So I'm, uh, I'm like in between beach time and having uh, a, like a nice island lager. And then I'm going to go for a, a little sunset kayak. Like that's, that's my, that's my day so far. Why does it like look like you're literally coming to us live from a closet? Because I'm pretty much am. So there are the place that we stay at. It's it's called Polly's Island, and it's a huge. It's a seven mile island which has these huge houses that sleep like fifteen people. So it's my wife and I, her parents, her aunt, her aunt's entire family. So there's like fourteen people in here. So finding a quiet place amongst because there's three children here. So trying to find a quiet place. It's, it's pretty much a closet. So yeah. Yeah. You had clothes right behind you. And I was like, man, is he in the closet? And then I started to look around at your other surroundings. I was like, I think you might actually be in the closet. So like literally in a closet. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, we've got some football to talk about today. Iowa state three, and zero for the first time since 2012, uh, cyclones with a 43 to 10 win over Ohio came right out. 11 play drive, 69 yards, marched down the field and score on the opening drive up 14 or 17 to nothing 10 seconds into the second quarter uh just about you know kind of like that SEMO game Jeff we talked after that one that it was just what the doctor had ordered I think for them in that season opener I would say this was just about exactly what the doctor ordered for this game as well yeah and the thing is is like you can tell when they have their foot on the gas they're really really good when they take their foot off the gas dumb stuff happens so we got to see, I mean, again, I think one of the things that Campbell talked about in the post game, which was kind of interesting, was he was like, you can see where our ceiling is, and we can see where our ceiling is. But the great thing about having a young team is that you got to coach them through the moments when they're not great. And so talking about like the things when they're not, you know, a young team doing young team stuff, you have the chance, because I think it was 28 to three or something like that, 28 to seven, uh, 28 to three. And they had the chance to go up 36 or 30, whatever, 35 to three going into halftime. And after a 50 yard run by Jairo Brock, you bobble the snap, turn it over. And all of a sudden, yeah, they, you, you, 
you still go up at halftime, but it was 31 and it wasn't 35. It wasn't that like absolute slam the door portion of the game, even though it was never really in doubt. So like those little moments, you know, you talk about just what the doctor ordered. We had talked about in, in weeks past where it's like, you want as a coach, a good, comfortable win, but you also want it to be imperfect early in the season, because then you can point out those things to say, Hey, you know, when we did this and that didn't work well, guess what? We're playing Baylor this week. We can't get away with doing that. And your kids can actually focus on it. So I thought, yeah, it was, it was, again, it was just like SEMO in that really well executed at times and really dumb stuff at times, but all that dumb stuff is correctable, dumb stuff. It's not like schematic or, or pervasive everywhere. It's like focus on the snap. You figure out where you're going to do what you're going to do and focus on it. So I, yeah, it was about as good of a third game as you can, as you could have, especially coming off of Iowa. Uh, I thought that it was – we'll start with the defense today. Uh, this game was sold as Iowa State playing their best offense they'd played uh, to this point in the season. Uh, I would say that that group certainly answered the call, uh, held Ohio to 233 yards of total offense, 209 yards passing, only 24 yards rushing, and uh, they were t- 2 of 13 on third downs. Uh, I want to say Ohio had the ball – 14 times and I think eight of those drives ended in three plays or less. What did you think of the defensive performance against the Bobcats? It was, I thought it was pretty damn good, you know, and I mean, shout out Anthony Johnson for getting his first interception ever and not making it like a jumps a pass kind of interception. It's like a diving, you know, top sports center, top 10 play to get his first interception. And then I thought it was funny later. One of the biggest plays that, uh, Ohio had was after he tried to jump another route and instead of just batting the ball down he tried to like dive over the receiver's shoulder to get his a second interception which was uh I don't know, felt a little greedy on that like one trying to go for two but like generally speaking the questions that I that you kind of had about Iowa State were how are they going to execute against spread teams in space because in week one against SEMO, it, was, it wasn't great. Like there were some, th- some things that left to be desired. Tackling in space wasn't as awesome as it normally is. Contested catches weren't as awesome as they normally should have been defensively. So, so there was a lot that they could have done better in week one. And a lot of those things got cleaned up where it never really felt like, I would imagine, you know, they had 230 something yards. I would imagine 80 of those came against the backups. Where the, their one long drive that they actually had was against there was, I think one or two like Darian Porter and Tavon Kyle were the only guys that were like substantial role players that were in the game in that one long drive. So really you can say like the starters gave up, you know, three points and 150 yards. So they did exactly what they needed to do and kind of doing what Haycox defenses have done throughout, you know, in the past, which is kind of tighten up as you get more information, like as you have more data points, the defense gets better and better and better. So I thought it was generally pretty good. And again, you know, the level of competition is going to ramp up substantially here over the next, you know, nine weeks, as much as they're going to play. But really, I mean, week one and even Kansas in week two, like of the Big 12 season, they're going to get, they're going to have to be this good or better before they can kind of say like, yep, we've, we have got this taken care of. That rush defense, I think has been, vastly better than people probably could have expected it to be going into the year. Um, 
obviously Isaiah Lee has been a big part of that. Will McDonald's been good. Orion Vance has been really good in that, in that area. Uh, but they've got a different kind of test coming up this week uh, with a Baylor team that really likes to run the football and has a couple pretty good running backs. How have you seen that group grow? What have you seen from them as uh, as throughout the seasons here so far? And how do you feel like that group is going to be able to hold up uh, going into Big 12 play from a run well, defense standpoint? Well, I think the thing that they need to make sure they continue doing is like the unsexy, unfun stuff that makes Iowa State's defense really, really good, which is – it looks like there should be edges. Like it looks like you should be able to get outside the tackle, get some space, get one-on-one with the safety, make somebody miss and make it happen. But then whoever, you know, last year it's 23 and you know, it's, it's Rose and Hummel. And it's those guys that are going to be coming in and forming some type of bracket or last year's Aishi Young. This year it's uh, Bo Freiler who didn't, who didn't even play on Saturday. I think they were sort of resting him for the conference season. So you have these physical, a physical safety on one side and you have a linebacker on the other side. And one of the reasons why this offense, or excuse me, this defense is really hard to play against is because you have, again, it, visually to any offense with some type of instinct, it feels like there, you should be able to get there. But what happens, they just form a pile and then you have the force players from the outside, force players being reader this year. And then whoever the other safety is going to be in that particular play come up. And all of a sudden you have a running back who, tried to bounce, then there's somebody there and then has to kind of like duck forward and hope you get two or three yards. And so it's a sort of uneventful mush look and play that the defense is sort of set up to do. Well, it, on, a Baylor running back is a lot different than an Ohio running back. I mean, 22 for Ohio, I thought was fairly good. I think he was a pretty elusive player, but it's a different beast when you're one-on-one in space, or if you have the capacity to get anybody at Baylor to the ground, it's a lot harder to do that. So the unsexy stuff is one filling gaps where they need to. And two is you get a chance and we saw it on Saturday. And I think you're always going to see it in Haycock's defenses is one guy causes the runner to break stride or back up or make a cut. And then there's four more red jerseys that are right there. Like that's the kind of stuff it's running to the football and being able to do it. And so it's the, yeah, interceptions and, and sacks and stuff like that. Those are all great. and They're necessary parts of playing defense. But the thing that makes this defense really good is just, you fill all the gaps that you need to force the, the the ball carrier to do something he doesn't want to do. And then you have 95 people there to tackle him. Like that, that's the the stuff that they need to continue doing. And I'd imagine it's not perfect. I mean, there are still some spaces that got, whether it's called back because of a holding or whatever, there were still plays that happened that weren't perfect where I'm sure John Haycock is going to in the meetings this week, be like, Hey, you were B gap player, get there. You know, like that kind of just good, but not good enough going into the season. I've been impressed by this defense's ability to uh, to create some havoc. Uh, two interceptions on Saturday, forced four fumbles, recovered two of them. Uh, it seems like this group has a nose for the football, I guess you could say. There's a bunch of guys that it seems like are around the ball on every play, making things happen. And that kind of happens when you as a defense, as an individual player, can trust that everybody around you is going to do the thing that they need to do so you can, you know, if like Anthony Johnson trying to jump over the the back sh- or the, the receiver's shoulder to try and get that second interception. Was that a smart play? No, it probably wasn't. He probably, he, I don't think he got yelled at because they probably knew his intention, but he probably was like, hey, man, just knock that down next time. But the fact that he was confident enough to make that like diving interception attempt 
is because he knows that if I don't make this play, the rest of the defense, all the rest of the secondary is going to be able to make this happen. So I'm going to go for it a little bit. And I think the things that have been, uh, have enabled this defense in particular to do that more is that Miles Purchase and TJ Tampa specifically, but then you look at the other two corners and Kyle and Porter, but Tampa and Purchase, I think, are the two guys that have been the most impressive. You look at those guys, you don't have – if you're a safety, you don't have to, like, hang out and help the non-Anthony Johnson quarter this year. Where last year and in, in years past, you've had to – if you're – again, if you're a safety, you kind of in the back of your mind got to be like, all right, well – somebody might run by this wide receiver or by our corner. So I got to keep depth. I got to make sure that I don't get too over the top or whatever. This year, you trust that two and five are going to do their job. So you can be a little bit more aggressive. If, if you see run, you can trigger, you can thump run. Or if you see there's a pass, like, and, and even with Tampa playing as well as he did last week against Iowa, where he's able to dive in front of the ball, tip it up, and Reader gets an interception, you're able to play more aggressive. And I think having two really good corners – makes it so the rest of the defense on, especially passing downs, can be more aggressive elsewhere because they know they're not handicapped or hamstrung by one or the other. All right, let's flip it over to the offense. Um, Hunter Decker's really good again, 28 to 36, 268 yards, three touchdowns. He did have the one play you mentioned where he took his eye off the snap and that led to a fumble. Uh, I saw Hunter is fourth, I think, in college football and completion percentage right now so far this season. Uh, not Im- as impressive from the games against Ohio, but especially how impressive he was against Iowa. I think that speaks to more than anything else. What you, I mean, did you like what you saw from the offense as a whole? I felt like that was, it was just like a go handle business type of day. I didn't think there yeah. was a whole lot to read into a lot of these things. Yeah. That was like, you know, like, a, you know, basketball example, we're like uh, you're up by 12 in the game and you, you know, got a power forward, that like breaks a guy's ankles and as it's like totally, you know, unguarded to the rim. And instead of doing like a snap the rim backboard, you know, break the backboard kind of thing. Like he just goes up solid dunk because he's up by 12. Don't get a technical, don't get a whatever, just go back and play deep. That felt like kind of the energy that Iowa state has is like, we just broke your ankles. It just, but we just, we just got to get the dunk. Like that's all we're doing. And I think the thing that t- is the most telling about uh, Decker's, so with my in-laws, Aaron, so my wife already flew out on Saturday. Like she flew out the, the day of the game. Um, we flew out the next day. And so I was, her parents live in Boone. So they drove halfway down, stayed with us and went to the airport Sunday morning. We're having dinner on Saturday night after the game. Um, just kind of talking about the game and my in-laws who like football, but aren't like, they're not like you and I, uh, as far as geeking out on it. And they go, kind of felt like Decker's was like off a little bit today. And I was like, you know, I, there was a couple duds where like he didn't plant his feet and like slung it sideways. And I looked at his statistics and yeah, he was 28 for 36. So it felt like he was off and he had eight incompletions. That's I think the best testament to the fact that like this, you just, it's so odd. The expectations are that it's so automatic and that he's so on time and he's so on rhythm and he's so accurate. You're like, man, he was off today. He threw two bad passes. <laughs> oh, okay. I think we're, pro- we're probably fine if two passes and like one that sticks out to my mind is he had, uh, I think it was, um, it was number six, and it was like five yards short and it was on a second down and it would have converted probably. And they had to punt after that drive, but like instant, the instant it goes out of his hand, he starts tapping his chest. Like, yeah, that's my bad. And then like the next drive, I think was the one where he, 
threw a 94 mile an hour fastball to Hanukkah in the end zone. And it was like, all right, well, okay. Made up for it. I think you're good. It's just funny because yeah, like the expectations of off air quotes Mm -hmm. are way different than they have been for any other cyclone quarterback in a long time. Well, yeah. And it's funny kind of on that same note, you know, you look at gyro Brock's numbers and you think you see only 76 yards, no touchdowns. You'd be like, man, Jarrell must have had a rough day. And then you see he only carried the ball seven times and average and had a 61-yard run that they weren't able to take advantage of. Uh, I mean, that seemed like uh, the kind of thing where they're like, all right, Jarrell, you showed us what you needed to show. We'll see you next week, buddy. You know? Yeah, he, he was the first one, I think, to get pulled. It was like him and X were like, all right, you guys, we know what you're doing. Just grab a Gatorade. X could have had 20 catches against the Ohio (laughs) defense. I think if he'd wanted to, they, they were double covering him. That was what was kind of fun too. Is that like, he still had his touchdown, you know, like he got his, he got his one. uh, So, which brings it up to five on the season through three games, but they still, they did everything. I mean, we talked about it. You know, you asked the question, what does, what does a defense do to shut down this offense? And it's you take away the number one option that the quarterback has. It is take away number eight and make him throw to somebody else. The second thing is, is then you get pressure, you force him off a spot, you get him out of rhythm. <laughs> and they did both of those things. And Iowa State still went up 17-0 really without much of a wink because Sean Shaw and Jalen Knoll and uh, Jirel Brock out of the backfield. Like they were still other guys that were really, really effective. So yeah, they were bracket covering Xavier Hutchinson whoops somebody else has to go do something now it uh it only makes sense that the i think we talked about sean shaw i think that was last monday on here we talked about him and then he comes through with five catches for 50 yards and jumps over a guy into the end zone uh i was like yep that's what we were just talking about on the podcast about this kid but uh having a guy like him i feel like is a significant positive you know because he's not a huge huge name or anything like that, but he's someone, you know, has played in a lot of big games. Uh, He just hasn't been able to stay healthy. And if he can stay healthy, I mean, he would have to be, you know, you've got X and Jalen Noel that are pretty firmly, obviously are firmly in their position, but at that other receiver, I think that Sean Shaw's the kind of guy who could maybe step up and really benefit from a lot of the fact that X is getting so much attention now at this point. He's your Dustin Hogue, Mm -hmm. you know, like, where you look at the stat line after the game, you're like, wait, he had 18 points. How, you know, cause everything is so focused elsewhere that the things that Shaw is going to end up being good at this year is like, so yeah, he had a, ca- a really nice catch and run, which he can do that. Clearly he just jumped over two humans. He's six, six and can run. But like the things that he does really well are contested catches and the stuff that require, it's like sort of kind of like ball, what Charlie did. All those five catches, I bet three of them were four first downs that were second or third down and longer yardage that you don't really want to have to convert. And Deckers just gets to bury one on to Shaw right at or around the first down marker because he's in good position. He's tough as nails and he can, he can possess the ball because of his size. So like a thing that Shaw is going to end up with is a lot of times you're going to be taking away number eight. You're going to be trying to take away number 13. So you're going to put your best nickel or slot or safety, your best cover guy on the other one. So you're probably going to end up more or less man to man with the third wide receiver. And so Deshaun Hanneke is going to end up in that same role too. Like those two guys 
are going to end up largely in single coverage against the third or fourth best pass defender that the defense has. So like, how is Shaw going to take advantage of that? Stuff like this, you know, he's got five receptions, 50 yards and a touchdown. That's exactly the, it's a perfect stat line. He's probably not going to be the guy that gets nine receptions for 124 yards and three touchdowns, but his having five year, or five catches, 50 and a touchdown makes him a viable threat that you can't sell the farm to try and guard number eight. And you can't bring your best guy always to cover 13 and trust that you're that your third or fourth guy is going to be able to hold up. So it's a big deal that you have that third, a third weapon. And again, Deshaun Hanek is another guy who's, I thought has been, I think has been really, really good past or his run blocking. It's been fine. Like it's not, it's been nothing to write home about, but his ability to play in space with speed, those two guys are your big body, reliable contested catch players that can do a job when they double cover eight and they play really tight coverage on 13 like it's a it's a good mix of players that they have and really like you know we called it with Shaw that as people try and shade their coverage elsewhere there's going to be opportunities for guys like Shaw and it's cool to see him all right what do you expect this offense what kind of looks do you expect them to get from Baylor on Saturday well Baylor pretty much plays Iowa State's defense like they they run primarily a three down they run primarily free safeties. So what do those safeties do? I mean, there's different tweaks to different things, but I would imagine you're going to see pressure brought from a lot of different places because if one thing that sometimes the offensive line has struggled with, it's uh, kind of more exotic pass rushes where for the most part, they've held up really well. But like if you had to pick a thing that they've done not as well as others, it's been that. It's that they if you throw something crazy at them, where you get multiple linebackers or whatever, sometimes they get like, they're not usually going to let a free runner go, but they're going to get caught off guard where, you know, Triber's on his back foot trying to pass rush against a linebacker who twisted over the top, like stuff like that. So I would imagine you're going to see some mixed pressures. If nothing else, you are they going to get to hundred deckers? Yeah, probably once or twice, but I don't think that it's going to be like 12 sacks in the game, knock on wood. But if you make him, if you bring Decker's eyes down and you stop having him look at the coverage and his matchups and whatever, and you make him just think about who's coming and where he might have to avoid, then that's less attention that he's putting on the coverage in the past and more attention that he's putting on saving his own ass. You know, so like if I would imagine that's one of the things that Aranda is going to have his team do is provide some type of weird mixed pressures. They're also going to be able to to. They're going to challenge, I think, they're going to challenge at the line of scrimmage probably more than other teams have because they have more guys to do it and a scheme that allows for that. Where, like, Iowa has got Riley Moss and you got another, a really strong secondary, but generally they don't like to play press man all the time. So this is a scheme that allows for something to challenge at the line of scrimmage, to disrupt a rhythm that Iowa State has demonstrated they want to do for three weeks like you can tell it's a rhythm offense that i want to get you know there's some scramble drills there's some he's going to hold the ball and you know take his right hand and point all over the field and try and chuck it to somebody but for the most part it's there's based on this coverage based on the matchups i probably am going to go to this guy this guy or this guy check check throw like it's everything's quick and so if you're going to challenge the line of scrimmage and provide some different looks you're going to be able to like you're going to be able to access that and so for Iowa State to counter that, you got to be able to run the ball. Like 
if they're going to put all this effort into being weird blitzing pressures, twists and stuff like that, just stuff that makes deckers think twice blitzing is a gamble because it takes a second or third level defender and puts them as a first level defender. And the problem with putting a lot of guys as first level defenders is that once you break through each successive level of player, there's less of the other ones to get them down. So if you have six guys in line of scrimmage instead of four, and I, whether they get blocked or not, whether they make somebody miss or not, well, now if there's six guys in line of scrimmage, there's now only five people who are even a potential threat to get the ball down versus if there's four at the line of scrimmage and I break through those four, there's still seven guys that can still get them down. So like there's a big difference when you're that aggressive, if you can still run the ball. So guys like Jirel and Eli Sanders and whoever, maybe Norton plays and, and we can talk about Dan Silas here for a second too. But like, if those guys, if you're able to run the ball against Baylor, they can't be as aggressive as they want to be because they would take themselves out of run defense lanes. And then you can still operate the way you want to. So it's going to be, I mean, a hell of a matchup just because of Baylor being really good. And Iowa State, I think at this point, we can also say is a pretty damn good team. Mm-hmm. Uh, winner of this game, each of the last three years has played for the Big 12 title, which is not obviously an indication specifically of this game, but I think it speaks to the way that it can be a springboard for you. Obviously, that was an, uh, a big win for Baylor in 2019 during the Tent Gate game uh, when Iowa State tried to make a comeback in the fourth quarter. Uh, Iowa State had to come back and win that game in 2020 during the COVID year. And then last year, obviously, uh, was huge for Baylor, who went on to win the league. But uh, you mentioned Deion Silas. What did you like about what you saw from him on uh, on Saturday? Really the first time we've gotten to see him in any extended stretch this year. And against the ones. Like, this mm-hmm. is the best time. The first time we've seen him against the top, kind of the, the top players of the other team. I think he is the hardest player on the roster to tackle in space. Like, and I don't think it's all that close. Like you get him one-on-one with anybody, unless that person has a perfect angle and it's a stretch play that he doesn't have a choice to cut. I don't think anybody's getting him on the ground, but the thing, like I'm, I'm more convinced based on watching him play that he has, he is the reason he doesn't play more is because he doesn't play football. He plays, you know, whatever terminology you want to use of where you just give the ball, give the ball to the kid and just run around. Like that's what he plays. He doesn't play like he doesn't stay on track. He doesn't stay with the flow of the play as much. So like that one that he almost scored the touchdown on is that cutback. And a lot like someone on Twitter asked, like, you know, he seems like he's the best running and like cutting back across the grain. He cut that back probably four yards too early where if he was to have done that later, the safeties that ended up pushing him out of bounds are committed into the run on the front side. And he outruns them for a touchdown and no one's there. like, Bree, that's what Brees did so well is that the reason why it looked like he was almost jogging in the backfield is because he knew, all right, I want you safeties up in the box. And then I'm going to cut like he's wait. He's playing, you know, Geppetto or whatever. He's playing the puppet master with the defense until they move. Well, Deion Silas is just like a straight up street baller. You know, like he's he's not waiting and making those guys do the thing that he wants to do. It's just, I'm better in the open field than you are. Come get me. So the thing, the reason why he's not playing more is probably because he doesn't, he makes the, he makes hard plays look cool, but he also makes easy plays hard. So like when he gets an open space, awesome. 
but he makes it hard to get in open space. So like that's as he gets more film and more comfortable, like you would hope that the coaching staff can then be like, Hey, look at what Jirel did here. You see how he's one-on-one with the safety and that's how he can get a 61 yard run or a 54 yard run. Now see how you're one on three and you still made everybody miss, but how much easier could your life be if you just press this a little harder? So I thought he was, he's electric, absolutely electric in the open field. He just doesn't do anything on rhythm, which he's a young guy. And like, that's the thing. That's one of the things that comes with time. And again, you got to learn, you have film on Brees Hall and you got film on Jirel Brock that you can say, and even Deuce Vaughn, like he is just a lot like Deuce Vaughn. Like, look at that guy. Look at those, that guy. Look at that guy. See how many one-on-one opportunities they have. Give yourself one-on-one, not one-on-three. So I don't know. He was good, but he can be even better. And if he ever gets that to click, then that's a Darren Sproles type player. If he ever get that to click, which sometimes it doesn't, sometimes it doesn't. But if we've seen anything with the Matt Campbell coaching staff, generally speaking, it clicks for running backs. All right. Last thing I'll let you out of here. Um, a week from today, are we talking about a battle of undefeateds down in Lawrence, Kansas, between the Cyclones and Jayhawks? I feel like Kansas is going to hold up their end of the bargain because their path is much easier to undefeated. Uh, battle of basketball schools on Saturday when yeah, Duke rolls yeah. into town. Kansas Duke. Um, I feel like it's hard for me to say that Iowa State's going to lose a game when they haven't given me any reason to think that they will. You know, like if they're able to, the only things that give me pause which give me legitimate pause are special teams mistakes, which continue to happen. Uh, There's a block field goal this time. And then just the dumb shit that they have gotten away with to this point because they're playing Iowa's offense or they're playing Ohio or they're playing SEMO. They've gotten away with busting a 50 yard run and fumbling the snap. They've gotten away with, you know, tip throwing a pass against Iowa and having it tipped up in the air. Cause Xavier Hutchinson is going to go catch it. And it's a 21 yard game. Like you've gotten away with that stuff, but they can't continue to try and get away with that stuff. So as long as Iowa state plays a clean game, they will win every game that they play, but opponents know that. And so they're going to try and force them into mistakes, which allow them to win the game. So like, I feel like Iowa State is more talented than every team. Every team they're going to play, except maybe pure talent, Oklahoma and Texas, as far as like roster talent. But if you're, if again, if they execute like they should and like they have proven they're capable of doing, they don't, it doesn't feel like they're going to lose, but they have shown that they have the propensity to do dumb stuff that they might. So, like, if this game is any indication, it's going to be in the past three or four years, it's going to be weird as hell. This game is going to have, you know, like the mascots are going to get into a fight. There's going to be like a, a, you know, like a flyover that tries to happen, but then there's like a a parachutist that gets stuck in the lights. Like there's just some weird stuff that's going to happen. And I feel like Iowa State's going to come out of it, but this is probably, if not the the hardest test that Iowa State's going to have this year, it is potentially the most important to set the season off to say if we win this game you would think that they're not necessarily in the in the driver's seat for it but they are one of the few in the driver's seat for a big 12 title game berth already through one game in the season because of what their season has already been but if they can win this game they become one of the teams in the front of the bus if they lose this game they're definitely not in any way out of it because of how much the conference is going to beat each other up but i don't know this is going to be a nerve-wracking game 
that is going to come down to some weird stuff. This is the kind of game that uh, will get some people to pay attention, I think. Not a lot of people have been paying attention to Iowa State. Even when they beat Iowa, it was more about Iowa than it was about Iowa State. I think this is an opportunity for them to certainly make some noise that I think a lot of people will pay attention to. All right, Jeff, we'll talk to you again uh, next week on Football and Random Things. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks to Whipple's Hybrids for being the presenting sponsors of Football and Random Things. We'll talk to you guys again soon. Peace.